0: Hello and welcome to Emerge Evolve Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24 and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem and I'll be your host my friend and fellow entrepreneur is cindy morgan jaffe who we'll be hearing from today she is a money coach and a recovery coach in the dc area cindy helps people overcome the shame of struggling with addiction of any kind and helps other parents of addicts too she teaches the tools of mental fitness to make sure we stay on track for a balanced and positive life with money and self-care and leadership Hi, Cindy. How are you doing? I'm great, Maureen. So great to um, be with you today. I really
1: appreciate you inviting me to be on this important platform that you have.
0: Thank you. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast today. We've known each other for, what, about uh, over a year now. And we've both done a lot of the same kind of entrepreneurial work. And I would love our leaders to learn more about you. But before we jump into all that the goodness you have to share, Please tell our listeners, um, you know, your name. I know you don't have a sobriety date per se, but I know you also are a recovery coach. How did you you know anything you want to tell us about your life and your family and how you got into recovery and then we'll move on.
1: Okay. Well, my name is Cindy Morgan Jaffe and I live in Washington, D.C. And I am a money coach, uh, primarily a money coach, also a mental fitness coach. And um, I am, uh, I guess my story really just for those of you out there, if you're really paying attention to the whole movement around recovery is to really talk about the shame that we have in a lot of our backgrounds around, around our own struggles, uh, where, wherever they fall into the realm of addiction. And so I, um, just my story just briefly is that Personally, I really struggled with food addiction when I was in high school and through college and even into my early marriage life. And that was a real struggle. It was a very private, um, I didn't have a lot of uh, support. Um, And when I tried to reach out to people, uh, there wasn't a lot of understanding of what food addiction is. And so that was a really lonely and a really um, scary part of my life feeling really out of control around, uh, is this going to be the rest of my life and, um, also living and hiding that from others. So that was a, you know, very painful part of my life and, and something that I really, um, now that I look back on it, gave me a, certainly a lot of insight into what others struggle with, uh, in this sense of, I can't, I have so much that I feel that is out of control and I want so desperately to be in control. So, um, And then the second part of that, um, and thankfully, I got some really good help eventually and and was able to overcome that um, eating addiction. And then later, uh, we have five children and it's a a blended marriage. And um, so one of our younger, um, we have a set of twins and one of the younger one, one of the the sets of twins has really struggled with substance use. From an early age, from like 13, 14 years old, real bullying and, you know, pretty classic story that you're hearing more and more these days of, of just um, trying to um, find some peace around that, uh, deal with it privately. And again, um, social media and things like that. So we had to, um, as parents, really had to uh, figure out how to address that. And we're like many parents these days, really trying to navigate all of those questions of, is this a teenager? Is it a, um, is this a teenage issue? Is it to be expected and all of that? And, and, um, and eventually had to send our daughter away to a wilderness um, program and just has, have been dealing with uh, therapeutic boarding schools and coming back and living, you know, so just, that was just a very traumatic time in our lives. And um, again, thankfully she's on the repair, but she, and she's in college and she's managing through college, but it's, it remains to be a, a, a really difficult part of our family, family's experience with her and her mental health issues.
0: It's so hard though in so many families, isn't it? When we have um, somebody struggling with addiction. And did you say that it basically started off with, her being bullied in high yes, school yeah. as youngster. Yeah. And we use it to cope so much with, um, geez, all of the relationships that you have to manage in the peer groups. And when you are an adolescent, it is difficult. Like I started when I was 13. It, it's not easy. And you did, but you escaped in a different way, right? With food. And that is just as uh, damaging, right? We, we use, it doesn't matter what we use it could be and a lot of kids today gaming right or right. Shopping, or um, shopping <laughs> it's just another addiction. And so would you say that all of these addictions that we uh, rely on to get through life to deal with life is really a form of you know just self-preservation and depending on how sensitive we are with things. They're all basically the same,
1: would you say? Yeah, and I think that's a really um, helpful way to look at it: to self-preservation, because of course society sees it as as the opposite of, of that a
0: moral <laughs> of self-harm,
1: of right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, self-harm. Like you can control this, and you. I mean, we all we are all compassionate people. We uh, obviously know that our children or ourselves are not going out to just. You know, be kind of uh, hoodlums, etc. Right. Um, I was
0: though. I was definitely a hoodlum.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the the hoodlum the, <laughs> the hoodlum the hoodlum behavior is very much part of the landscape. Which what which is why it makes it so difficult to have empathy and to yes. come from a place because everyone is struggling and everyone's in that place of fight or flight and fear and. Out of controlness, and it's it's a mess. It's really, really, really difficult, and I I feel so much for parents who are struggling with it and who want to support their loved ones and may have come from their own family of origin and and alcoholism and all of those things that we are seeing everywhere. I mean, you, it just you don't have to go far, um, which is why I um, am doing more work in talking about addiction in the workplace because. That's what we really need to be um, helping to elevate this conversation and the um, safety of being able to talk about it and support uh, one another in in the workplace and not just at
0: home. I'm so glad you said that because we have been hiding it for so long. And even like the 12-step programs, is all quote anonymous because we're trying to protect ourselves we, uh, from the stigma, right? whether it's mental illness or alcoholism or, you know, sex addiction. I mean, there's so much stigma associated with, oh, you're a bad person or you're amoral or you're whatever. And so to get away from that now, especially for people who are in recovery, to be able to step out from behind that and say, no, I'm in recovery. I'm in long term recovery. And I have learned so much and here's how I can help you. So it's not only healing. You know, once you heal yourself, then we're ready to step out, hopefully, and not be anonymous anymore to say, let me help heal others by, my, by sharing my story. And that's um, such a powerful, powerful thing. So would you share a little bit more about how you got into recovery and you know, what it's meant in your life and what you're doing now?
1: Sure. So I would say on the personal side of my journey back, you know, coming in my mid-20s and so on, what I found someone, and I think this is uh, a little bit along the lines of what you're just talking about, is I found someone who had recovered from um, what I was struggling with. And so she was able to really help me with the tools that clearly helped her. And um, so I felt, uh, some trust in that, like, okay, because I went to so many therapists who are like, well, what's the relationship with your mom and, you know, all these things. And, and what i really come to understand is just the nature of the disease of addiction and how our brains work and, and how, what about it is so um, challenging for people to actually address and overcome in their addiction. So in that case, I did some self, um, some work around, um, just some visualization that she took me through. And in the end, I think it was just partly that trust that I felt like in her that I could do it. It was partly really being clear about what I really wanted and what I really needed at any particular time. Um, so I was much more connected to that. Um, like what's on the other side of the, of the, um, the cell feeding your, your need instead of feeding okay. that need, it was like, what was the other, I need a, I need to feel loved. I need to feel accepted. I need to, you know, whatever that was, I just, in the moment, um, I needed to just trust that it would pass my, you know, that. So, so it really is a physical thing that I think a lot of people don't uh, realize is how you actually can breathe through, you can move through you know, there are a lot of tools available for us, as we go through these panic modes or these, these kind of, I call them your peaks. Um, so I was, re- I was just really given some of those tools and,
0: um, oh, and it was cravings. also just,
1: yeah, the cravings. And oh, things.
0: That is real, real thing, right? To get through and pass the cravings, not just physical, but then when you have those emotional, you, you need to fill that void. And you know, that if you do such and such, whatever your addiction is, you will feel quote in control for the moment or it will make you feel a certain way which is a certainty when we are sick of being uncertain right we want that certainty and that's when i think those cravings kick in most of all or we just want to escape complete void but yeah so wow it sounds like you worked through a lot of that in your young adult life which is fantastic i'm sure it has helped you as a parent what's one of the biggest things that you've learned that's really helped you in your in your own life i guess
1: i'm I've always been um, into physical fitness and i've also been into i'm now into mental fitness more and more and I think that's really those practices of of breathing of uh, <clears throat> you know of just kind of being aware of what's going on mentally and so I think what's really helped me is to have that practice and to know where my boundaries are around things. And I, I mean, that is, I'm not saying I'm, you know, really great and mad, you know, like I'm some model, but I just think we all need to understand and know our own sense of what sends us off, um, off kilter. So for me, stress, or like, I always sort of came back to center as a parent, like I need to be with the kids. I need to be with my family. So, you know, working on weekends was not sort of in my, you know, just things that I knew would throw me off my balance. And I triggers. think partly, yeah, j- yeah. Triggers and just things that, um, I just kind of avoided some of those things. And I think I, now that I look back on that, um, I can look at it with judgment, like maybe I didn't do enough, right. With this or that, but I'm realizing that so much of that is, it was self-care. So. Yes.
0: Yeah, because really, if you don't have that, it's very difficult, especially with a family of five, right, to have any kind of balance or emotional and mental (laughs) sanity and balance in your life with working full time. And I know, so tell me a little bit about your career. What have you? I know you're coached now. And you talked about mental fil- fitness. I love that, and also physical fitness. Um, but I know that you were a leadership trainer, uh, just like I was for many years. Uh, tell me, how did you get into that, and and what was what was that path like for you? Well, the
1: leadership. I think I've always been. I can, as far as I can remember, I've been interested in business, and I've been interested in what are the ingredients to successful. To success, whatever that looks like for people. So, I've really been a, I've studied um, human behavior and, you know, I got a master's in um, education and human development. I've just been always really interested in what makes people uh, navigate successfully through things. So, that's been a, just a study. And um, leadership for me has just what um i've always been fascinated with with those individuals that take the lead um whether they're physically taking the lead as the head of a company or on an initiative politics whatever that is or how they take leadership um inside of an organization so how how does leadership what does leadership look like you know in in just for yourself on a daily basis and I'm particularly interested in parent leadership at this point, really thinking about what is it that we do as parents that really can be um, defined as leadership. And I think that, unfortunately, our society is has put home life and parenting and things like that as kind of a, a sub. You know, it's like you're not you're not doing anything unless you're in the world of work. And I'm like, hey, you know, I think the world of work is you know, the family is the final frontier, how we show up in family, how we navigate through all that. I mean, that takes serious leadership and serious skill sets. And so thank you for saying
0: that. I, I totally agree. And you know what we had so as a, as a, a leadership trainer, I, I tell people all the time, you never know what somebody had to deal with in their childhood. Because there's been some pretty crappy parents out there, uh, you know, after years of, right, coaching and doing recovery coaching or whatever you want to call it, right, leadership training, there are some people that have had to deal with a lot of trauma just from their childhood, and which is why therapists always start with, you know, how was your relationship with your mother? Right. I mean, right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's totally, it's all, you know, it all comes back to that little, if you, if you realize that you start, if you, one exercise that, that um, those of you who are listening to this podcast can do at any point is if you want to get to a point of empathy um, and move out of that, that kind of um, flight or fight brain is to just go to imagine the person as a little, as a little person whoever it is and imagine how innocent and lovely and, and wide eyed, uh, you know, we all start out as right. And so, uh, you know, it, whether it's parents or family dynamics or just life or whatever, you know, we become definitely modified <laughs> through, sure. through that. And so that really does, it brings, it's exactly what we bring into the world of work. So.
0: Yeah. We try to say, well, they you are just doing the best they can. But sometimes you really do need to heal from, from certain traumas. And one of the ways um, that I think we keep ourselves stuck, whether you're a leader or just an individual contributor in any way, in life itself, is to constantly criticize yourself because that's what your caregivers did, right? And so I would always, you reminded me, I would, I would use this uh, technique of, bringing them through a short meditation where they actually meet their younger five-year-old self Hmm. and love and nurture that little one and always leads to tears and healing because we don't, we are, we bully ourselves all the time and we have to treat ourselves sometimes like a little kid, a little sensitive person in there because we didn't get that. And it's so important for any kind of Spiritual growth, mental growth, any growth, you know, just get rid of that critic. Yeah. So I know that as a parent, too, you have been focused on helping other parents. Understand how to help their kids with money, and now you're helping adults with with money and stuff. Tell us more about that. What is your coaching around the financial skill set? Because so many people in recovery, that's like one of the worst things. Like we're either gamblers, or we just spent too much money on drugs and alcohol, or buying things that we never needed, and we are in financial straits. Not only in this country, right, but in the all over the world.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for uh, making this connection between, I think, uh, around um, money, which a lot of people think just lives in the financial world. Like, okay, uh, there's accountants, there's, you know, banks and all of that. And that's, that's a whole industry um, that is that we participate in, whether we like it or not. And, um, and money it to me has a whole offers a whole other dimension, right? So there's finances and then there's money and it's how do we relate to money? Um, and many of us don't actually think about or even um, know that there is such a thing as a relationship to money. And I didn't even know that until really mid career in my you know early forties when I just was really um, woke up just in a state of, real panic and, um, and just didn't know what to do about um, what I was struggling with, which was, was related to money, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I call a Susie Orman issue. It wasn't just open another book and figure out how to manage my money. It just was not that. And I had no idea. So I went to the, um, went to the library and I looked through all the psychology books and the finance books. And I finally found this little tiny, slim book called Making Peace with Money by Jared Mundus. And it was just, I opened it up and it was just, it was such a relief, making peace with money. And it was, it was really just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I mean, there are many books out now about money mindset and money love and all sorts of, there's a lot of um, books that are, can really be helpful around those who show patterns of what's called under earning or overspending, But the fact of the matter is is we are all of us, every single one of us is driven by a set of beliefs um, around money that we learn uh, again, going back to that little person. We learn um up to, you know, age, our core values are formed by around. Uh, age seven. And so we are really learning about how do we, uh, what are the core values and what is is important? um, What happens around money? And so some of those very first memories, I would really encourage, again, uh, those of you who are listening here today is to really uh, think back on some of your very first memories of money and how those interactions were taking place. Because in many cases, there's um, the conflict around money there's or fighting around a divorce check. I mean, it could be all kinds of things it could be even in a very wealthy family um, still fighting and um, and just not talking about money or the message that uh, having money is greedy. I mean there are all sorts of messages that we get, and so being aware of those messages is absolutely critical um,
0: because they form our beliefs and then, mm-hmm. Our reality is created by what we believe in. And so we continue to blame outside sources for our lack of money. But yeah, I I remember when I first got sober, I, well, even before, before, when when I first recognized that my life sucked, (laughs) (laughs) I picked up this book called Think and Grow Rich because I kept thinking, well, it's because my father was an alcoholic or it's because, you know, this boyfriend was a jerk or because his boss was really, this job was so crappy. And I realized then, okay, well, no, because I don't have any money. If I had money, I'd be happy. And that whole book has almost nothing to do with actual finances or money. It's all about growing rich in your mind with your beliefs. So tell me a little bit more about like this program that you're running that um, you help people with their mental fitness. Well, the,
1: the, um, the program that I recently just have um, been getting certified in almost at the end of that process is called positive intelligence. And so again, it's about mental fitness. It's coming back to Um, In all of money work, what we want to really be paying attention to is what sabotages us. And, um, and so it's uh, whether, whether it's food or money or, you know, any alcohol, whatever it is, we want to just make sure we want to be connected to what causes our negative emotions, what is our triggers, and then how do we, how are we set up? from a belief system and from our behaviors to act on that and how is it serving us and how is it not serving us. And so positive intelligence and mental fitness gives us a, a kind of a mental muscle, it builds the brain. So the where this connects with, um, with money again, or any addiction, especially with addiction is that it um, with mental fitness, we're building the part of the brain that it's almost the neuroplasticity of our brain. We actually have an incredible brain and we have a, a, a huge potential to build up the side of the brain that is um, is more around called the sage brain. So this is the brain that isn't reactive, it's more thoughtful, it's more curious, it's less judgmental. And so what mental fitness does is you use these, um, this process, it's just simple breathing um, rubbing your hands together, things like that, that are called PQ reps, but there, you can use them throughout the day instead of just saying, okay, I'm just going to, you know, do my meditation in the morning. It's a practice that you, it's calming your brain on a regular basis. And then you build those mental fitness muscles up. And so the more you do these, um, these reps, which are just like two to three minutes an hour, you can, um, help your body just stay in a a more calm mode throughout the day. And then it has long-term effect. So it can even bring down your heart rate and things like
0: that. I love it. That is so good. Probably for so many things. Um, I'm reading a book right now called my grandmother's hands by Resma. I'm not going to remember his last name It is so good. It is about, um, White body supremacy and black bodies, and how we and police bodies and how we all relate to each other, and how and it's really about how to settle your body. And they talk about this same sort of things the rocking or the rubbing, and to settle our bodies is the most wonderful, calming thing that we can do because it's not just settling whatever trauma that we happen to have in this lifetime, but also. All the trauma that our ancestors and that came down with them through the DNA of, you know, from so many centuries um, that we've lived through, the terror of just hurting each other in this world. So I love that. And it's so it's not just even for finances, but I bet you this can help in so many ways to really keep always settling your body. I know that so many of us get a lot of anxiety whenever it comes to money. And I think. I this is not fact anybody everybody whatever but I think the biggest reason for divorce is often financially motivated because people can't get on the same page about money. Yes,
1: so what, well, I mean that is true. 80%, I mean the statistics out there are that 80% of divorces are money related.
0: Ah. And well, and right. what's interesting,
1: yes, you're right. And what what's interesting about money is that we opposites I mean, again, I'm making a lot of generalizations here, but in general, in couples, opposites attract. So I would be attracted to someone who saves if I'm as kind of a spender. I know that, oh, I love that because you're, you're looking for, we're looking for a mate, right? So it often starts out really like a great, you know, match made in heaven because we're, we're, we're finding that that is a balancing act, but in, as in many cases with marriages, if, If um, if there isn't that ability to change and recognize and and unconditionally um, welcome that support, then it can really cause hardship. And I'll just say in my in my marriage, so I was divorced. It didn't didn't relate to money in that case, but in my in my uh, next partnership, um, you know, money has been. You know, my partner is a really good earner, and I've always struggled with earning because I've had this belief that earning money is somehow kind of ugly, like, you, you know, going, I'm a very good worker. I'm an incredibly good, you know, I can create, 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 but asking for money, bringing money in, you know, managing money. And I was also told growing up that money, don't worry about money, we'll take care of it because, uh, you know, it's stressful. So they, my parents came out of the depression. So my relationship to money has been about stress. And like you say, anxiety, and so, as a result, I didn't really learn about it as much. So, that adds more to the stress. And, but this idea that you keep going back over to a place you know you need to go, and yet you don't want to go there that yeah. many, many people struggle with this. I'm so not alone. And, um, and so, in our relationships, um, that's sometimes there can be that somebody who's controlling the money more that can that can get a little out of balance and be very controlling or um, you know it just or or someone else expects you will just take care of me can you please take care of me and then they get divorced and they're they're terrified because they have no skills so you know that's what I really encourage anyone who again who is listening to this and reflecting on how this might be resonating for them. I just highly encourage you to number one, um, really just sit and sit with a sense of curiosity about your relationship to money and understand that it, money is there. Money is a currency, it's energy. So if you want it to come towards you, you want it to feel like it, it can and that you love money and money loves you mm-hmm. and there's no value judgment around it. Um, but, and there are a lot of resources out there to help you just have a better money mindset.
0: There are a lot of resources. So, um, I appreciate you saying that you totally answered my, my last question. You just did, which was really, you know, what, what is your best advice for people who are need to get into recovery around money? And so that's awesome. So where can people reach you and find out more about you, Cindy? Um, so
1: I have, a my website is my last name. It's Morgan Jaffe with one E.com. So they if you just go there, um, there's a link there to some of the work I'm doing. I have a, a camp called pizza money camp. And I also, um, am, and I'll be putting up my mental fitness. I'm just finishing up the mental fitness program. And that's just an eight week uh, boot camp, And, um, and on positive intelligence. And then I'm also doing that work um, inside of organizations as well on money saboteurs. So, um, and um, yeah, so I'm doing that. And then I'm also just letting people know, I'm, I'm launching a program. I'm doing a pilot this summer called the Substance Use Peer Support Groups or SUPS Groups for 18 to 25 year olds. And so I'm doing a uh, it's a six to eight person program um, that is just is just designed around um, learning about your they're using tools called phases of addiction stages of change healthy boundaries emotions and feelings so it's using some tools and so it's a facilitated by me and as a recovery coach and it's just a pilot to see. Um, how, because there's a real need for support groups that are not in institutions out there for families and for, um, young, you know, young adults who are in college and just really struggling. And I just, there's, it's a desert out there. So this is trying to fill that need.
0: There are a lot of, um, things popping up that are outside of the traditional ways that we've thought about recovery. And this is one of them. So yeah, to all of our listeners, if you have uh, kids that are around that age that might be struggling, great resource. So we have to keep looking at how can we help just because our kids are grown, right? It doesn't mean that they don't need the help anymore. Um, We always do the best we can. And it's not our fault would you agree? It's not our fault when somebody falls into these things, but we can continue to be the leaders in our family to guide and direct them to the next best steps.
1: Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, in today, what what I see more and more is needed is just community, a community of trust and safety where um, and I think we have to start with family size organi- units. So yeah. six to eight people is kind of the maximum. And, um, and I think the more, the more we can do that, and in this case, I do it virtually. So there's also that built-in sense that you don't have to go out and you know, be somewhere else. You can do that in a way that feels. So, but we'll see how that goes. So all I know is that it's very needed I wish that are, um, but it's not something that, you know, it has to be the choice of that individual to be there. Right. Like, like anything.
0: (laughs) And uh, usually when you're a parent and you recommend something, they don't want to do it. So.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is one of those things that we'll see how it goes. I mean, there is a reason why. um, Also just and in AA community, we've noticed a lot in Washington, DC, there are youth groups, but from brain development standpoint, there's a piece really missing um, for this age group because their brain just isn't quite there yet for, um, and so we notice more and more that the the recovery comes after ages like 22, 23, 24, when there's just sort of more brain um, development. So unfortunately, waiting and waiting and waiting for the brain to develop. But again, listeners to please understand that that um, the more you understand about the brain with with the disease of addiction, um, the better off you can be. And the yeah just to educate yourself because it's 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 quite a ride. Quite oh a no ride.
0: kidding. Yeah our brain is so it's another just like the ocean a lot of uncharted territory we're learning so much right we're learning so much cindy thank you so much for coming on the podcast today i really enjoyed our conversation i know we could probably go on for another hour talking about this stuff but uh, maybe in the future we'll get you back here and i hope your program this summer is super successful thank you thank you
1: so much and thank you for all the work that you're doing out there it's it's really important
0: i agreed sister (laughs) (laughs) like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learn in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.